a listener production. in your ears. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to our uh, podcast. It's called Listenable. We, of course, have another episode for you. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss them. Uh, This guest, super interesting story. Uh, A very visual story as well. So we're really actually excited to put a lot of his um, work onto our socials as well to share the visual aspect of it. Unless, of course, you are blind or low vision, of course, we'll have our captions on as well. Um, Let's let our latest guest introduce themselves. Hey guys, so Jamin Hudson, uh, basically live in Esperance, Western Australia. I'm an aerial photographer, primarily focusing on wildlife, so um, dolphins, whales, um, and I've been pretty lucky to have some success with it. I've had over, I think, about 250 million views on my videos now, and I'm just hooked. I love doing it. And what is your disability? Uh, I am a C5-6 quadriplegic, so paralysed from about the armpits down due to the result of a motorbike accident when I was 17 years old. Oh, we'll get into the uh, disability and your life story in a bit, but the thing that's most impressive about you is the work that you do. Where did you get this passion for the for the photography and, and especially in nature? Yeah, look, man, just growing up, basically, from the day dot, my parents have run a dive business. And, uh, you know, when you run a tourism business, there's not really any weekends off. So they used to take us out on the boat uh, while they taught other people to dive. And then uh, we went out there and my honest earliest memories of just of mum and dad teaching people to dive while I was on the boat. And then as they came up to the surface, their reactions were always just amazing. And then that made me want to explore the underwater world and got hooked on it pretty early. So surfing and diving were a pretty big part of my life. And obviously that all changed after my accident. So then I was just in search of a way to reconnect with the water and uh, droning found me in a sense. I was just at work one day. We still operate like an island cruise business here in town and, uh, a guy came in and he wanted to go to Lake Hillier, which is that beautiful pink lake. Oh, man, I want to go there. kilometres away from yeah. us. Yeah, yeah I want to go. There. That looks oh, awesome. Oh, there you go, mate. Well, I'm your guy. Yay! <laughs> one day. Perfect. And we'll, get you on the, we'll, we'll, we'll get you on the boat for sure. Um, so he came in and, like, as you can imagine, 130 kilometres in the Southern Ocean is not like a small feat. You know what I mean? It's not like getting in a car. So a lot of people want to go there, but – we don't run as often as we'd probably like to just because of weather, numbers, everything like that. Um, so this guy was adamant though. He's like, I want to go tomorrow at 3 a.m. Turns out he was the chief marketing officer for DJI, which obviously everyone knows now is like the, the, like the, the drone phones, company, yeah. you know, but drones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was releasing a promo video for the Phantom 2, I think it was back then. And uh, he gave me some of the footage and I was just hooked. And I was worried I wasn't going to be able to fly because I have no dexterity in my hands mm-hmm. anymore. Like I can't open and close my fingers. Uh, but uh, my, well, she's my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time and my mom and dad were just like, look, just buy one. And if you can't fly it, we'll sell it and uh, bought it. And then I was just engulfed by it. Hey, I filmed, as soon as I filmed some wildlife, I just wanted to be out there every day chasing mm-hmm. it, trying to find it. How many crashes did you have with that drone? Don't lie to me. First up. No, I've had one. Actually. Yeah, yeah, that's honestly it. Oh, sorry, uh, one that was wasn't retrievable because it yeah. went in the ocean. But the other, um, uh, it was a windy day and it hit a bush, but we managed to find it. So nice. and she lived to to fly again. So it was all good. I'm I'm very scared of the deep dark water. It'd be one of my fears, I reckon. Really, I think also as. And Jamin, you might agree. I mean, and we'll touch about how you get in the water these days if you still can, but. 
you know, I used to swim. I've still got an Australian butterfly record from when I was under 12 and it was good, but it's something about, I think a lack of control out in the ocean when you have a disability is a bit gnarly because like you get taken for currents and stuff. You can't, you know, I guess you'd stand yeah, up in a current. Of course. You kind of get dragged away and things like that. Have you, do you have that desire to get back in the water as well these days? Yeah, man. I mean, well, that's what this documentary really features is basically uh, my journey after my accident um, and then a bit of my life story. And then the goal is to get mm-hmm. back into the ocean for the first time in nearly 13 years it was by the time we did it. Um, and I can't like, if you put me in the pool, I'll be on the bottom of the yeah. pool <laughs> in a few moments. Uh, you know what I mean? So I need to have people around me and, uh, people, um, that obviously I can trust in sort of thing and a flotation device. So I, I used to just go in the pool when we went to Bali, to be honest with you. And we'd put me in one of those little rubber floaties and I'd just float around drinking cocktails. Get you a, get you a, be- get you a bing tang and you're happy as Larry. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Float around doing that all day long and it was good. But, um, yeah, wanting to get back in the ocean was a major part and it all played out in the doco. And uh, we ended up going up north of WA to Exmouth to do it. And uh, what we achieved was just amazing. Like we got in there with such incredible wildlife. It was really cool. We're excited to talk about From Sky to Sea very soon. But let's go back to 17-year-old Jamin on a motorbike. Was it? Were you a motorbike rider? Was it not unusual for you to be on one? Yeah, man. Growing up, I'd raced motocross since I was like, I don't know, on a Pee Wee 50, so a little kid, you know. So been out riding all the time and uh, I was just unlucky really riding in the sand dunes and uh, like I'd done hundreds of times before and I went to go over the jump and I just came up short. I even rolled over it first to make sure it was all good because I'd been at it the week before and I just came up short and cased it. Uh, which for people that don't know what that means, it means you've just like basically landed one wheel, or the back wheel over the, uh, didn't make it over the jump. You know what I yeah. mean? So then that bucked me over the handlebars. And in all honesty, I remember thinking, I'm just going to like roll out of this, like a little roll, you know? And I just landed on my head and it went down towards my chest. And then next thing it was just, I was just laying on the ground and I couldn't tell where my arms or my legs were, um, couldn't move at all. And, and then obviously, you know, fear sets in, um, and uh, you become concerned for your well-being. So I told my friends I thought they'd need to call an ambulance and, and then we were in the sand dunes for probably a few hours, I'd say, because we were quite deep. Yeah. So they had to get this, the SES, the State Emergency Services, to come and get me uh, and then eventually went to the ambulance uh, before getting back to Esperance and then flying to Perth. Every disability story is different. That's what I'm learning with this podcast. Even if you can have the same diagnosis as someone, your story too, that disability is completely different. But it's it's so interesting um, to hear your story because it, there's so many parallels with Sam Willoughby, who's a previous guest, uh, who's an Olympic uh, BMX rider. And he, he, the way he, you told your story was so similar to his. He was on a track on his bike that he'd ridden thousands of times before and he just missed it by that much and that little bit when he went over the handlebars um that was the difference for him he just landed awkwardly and was lying on the ground waiting for the same assistance um but obviously yeah. you, you guys are so different he's actually paraplegic your quad and obviously motorbike and, and bmx is different but i just got when you were telling that story i was like wow getting a little bit of goosebumps because oh, I, I hear man, so much I think it's sound. just got to be extremely unlucky to be honest with you. I met a guy the other day who was 53 years old. He's 58 now, 59, but he was uh, body surfing, you know, just like having yeah. fun at the beach and same thing, head first, and now he's broke his neck higher than me, so he has less function than me. And you yeah. think, poor guy's just going for a swim, basically. Mm. Yeah. So it could happen 
sadly to anyone any moment really you just got to be unlucky yeah. <laughs> a, a guy i played wheelchair tennis with you won't mind me telling the story anthony cotterell from the great britain he had three cars that he split in half that's how big the crashes were round trees and he walked yeah, right. from all of them and then he was in turkey yeah. on a bucks party and he got a cocktail and he just slipped by the pool and broke his neck Oh my God. Wow. So it's crazy. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, it was almost like he makes yeah. a joke, like he was trying, someone was trying to get me, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. you can't, yeah, you yeah. can't, there's no rhyme or reason is there about what's happening. It, it's just things. Did you say you were lying in the sand for two hours before you got help? Is that right? I'd say it was probably that long. Yeah. And you're right. There is no rhyme or reason, you know, like it's just like I had all my protective gear on and everything like that. So it's just a, freak of nature really um but yeah you know i was just laying there i remember it started to rain and they held like a bush over my head to try and protect yeah. my face from the rain and, and you're laying there with the helmet on and i didn't want them to move it and it had like pushed up so my goggles were underneath my eyes and so it was and it, you know that's a scary two hours that's for sure yeah i was like, like so, do they give you water and stuff like what are you doing in that time no i just laid there man i'm just so you knew just from like having some sort of knowledge around neck accidents and breaks that, you know, it was pretty yeah. pivotal for you to stay as... Um, I think, and I think the uh, ambulance had spoken to them and just told them not uh, to move me at all, you know, because yeah. uh, so, I don't, 17, I don't think I would have probably known, but I probably would have been smart enough to know, like, don't yeah. mess with me too much. And yeah, if I, honestly, man, I just remember wishing my mum and dad were there, you know, to try and make me make me better really and then mm. that was the truth of it it was uh terrifying when you're when you're lying there do you know that you're now disabled or do you have hope i think i probably had a, a pretty good idea man yeah like you know everyone's always like oh the big dramatic moment the doctor comes in and you're never going to walk <laughs> again um for me i think i just yeah it was a, probably a, a pretty good idea that i damaged myself beyond repair so you got your diagnosis your quadriplegic c5 was that what you said yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I don't know if this video will be used, but um, that's like my hands basically, yeah. so I can't open and close my fingers. We yeah. will use this video. It will be on uh, all of our socials so that people who are hard of hearing or deaf can join in the conversation with captions. Sweet. Uh, for people who might be tuning in for the first time for this episode, Dylan is in a wheelchair. You're in a wheelchair. Dylan's paraplegic. You're quadriplegic. Can we talk about some of the differences between you guys? Yeah, for sure. So I guess the main differences that I would know is that I have no core muscles or anything like that anymore. I have no use of my triceps any longer. So I can't self-transfer out of my wheelchair uh, other than using assisted like slide board. Uh, so it's a funny thing. I, I used to think like quadriplegic, I mean, you couldn't move at all. Paraplegic was like you had no use of your legs, but there's just so much in between. Yeah. You know? And then you'll meet another C5, 6 quadriplegic the same as me and they might be able to open close their hands but they can't do other things you know it's mm. such a weird injury a spinal cord injury yeah, yeah i think it's like the different not only how high up from from your bum to your neck arrange so i'm um t7 so i haven't really got many abs either jamin as well but obviously i've got triceps and stuff um and you can transfer which is huge because the, if you think about doing a dip right now that's is massive because you go from one chair to the other so yeah. triceps are very important um but in saying that as you said it's a it's a wide range of, of spine and also how far along in terms of the width of the spine you break determines if you're incomplete yeah. or complete as well so obviously yeah. you're incomplete because you've got a bit of movement is that correct the way they described it to me was um, I am slightly incomplete because I can feel like, say if you were to wiggle my toes, uh, I could tell which one you were wiggling. I, you I, know? Can't, no way, I can't do that. That's cool. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
Yeah, so there's like deep, deep sensation, they call it. If you squeeze my knee or something, uh, I can tell. But other than that, I don't have any voluntary movement below my level of injury. It's all spasms, you know. Okay. So like I get real. If I go over like a cobbly road, my legs will be going crazy. Mm. Before we did this podcast, I was pretty, you know, unaware of disability as a whole or at least the intricacies of it. And, and it's so great to learn. But if you just told me what a quadriplegic was and a paraplegic, I would say paraplegic is pretty much what I expect Dylan to sort of Look yeah. like, you know, a guy in a wheelchair who's wheeling his chair. But if I, I thought quadriplegic, I thought Seven. Stephen Hawking. Yeah, yeah full, I thought full. you were from the neck down, you you couldn't yeah. move. So um, was that sort of when you got the diagnosis quadriplegic, were you going, what does that mean? Like, Yeah, I just hated it. Like I hated the word quad or quadriplegic. And there was a place called Quad Center where you could go and stay. And I was, yeah, I was despised the word quadriplegic because mm, yeah. I didn't want to be known as one. But I guess, it, you know, over time, you just, that's what it is. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's no point in fighting it. <laughs> Enjoy it. You definitely didn't lose the ability to grow a fantastic beard, I must say. <laughs> oh, thanks, that, and hair. That, you are looking sharp <laughs> with that. Uh, that's one thing. Ang- you, you and I can't walk, but at least we can grow beards. Angus? Ah, uh, yeah, no, there's no chance. Ah, <laughs> good legs. Well, all our energy is not wasted on our leg movement. Yeah, so it goes <laughs> to your face, bro. Okay, that's, oh, that yeah, makes you yeah. feel better. <laughs> um, what about the people around you, man, your family, mates? How did they take the accident? Yeah, look, some mates were like a bit funny, I guess. They didn't know how to act when I came. I was in Perth for 17 days in Royal Perth uh, Hospital and then eventually – I went to uh, rehab for like six months. So I was there to learn how to live with my disability, I guess. So I was away from Esperance for a long time. The Perth is eight hours away. So when I eventually came back, uh, it was like some people were a bit funny and others would just go out of their way to help me. My family were amazing, you know. Like I've got a son now. I've got a nearly a two-year-old in May. And I just love like so, so much. Love him. Like you couldn't believe. And anytime he falls or something, I'm just like, I'm a helicopter parent because I don't want it to end <laughs> up like me, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I really feel for my parents now knowing that they would have felt those feelings, like their boy has changed his life, sent the course, uh, you know, way off what could have ever, they could have ever, you know, that would be a worse nightmare really other than death, I guess. So uh, um, I feel for them, but they were great. You know, my mum used to drive 18 kilometres every morning from my sister's house to the hospital, she'd spend the day there with me and then she'd drive 18 kilometres home again. And uh, that was for six months, you know. She was there day in, day out um, just to support me and make sure I was all right. And then my dad, he had to obviously work because we run a business. Um, so he would come up for stints, but then he would, like, work all day and then at night time he'd modify the house to try and make it wheelchair accessible for when I returned home. Sister was amazing as well, like, would help with my personal care. Like, I would never get her to do that now, but she was like willing to do it so that I could still go to festivals and just do what like a normal 17, 18 year old person would do. Cool, bro. So much to unpack your dad, you know, having to work because you can't just drop everything because the business might not be able to pick up again. You've got to be consistent with tourism. It's all about word of mouth and consistency with that. Uh, But he would have also, you know, wanted to be with his son going through the most traumatic moment of his life. And I'm sure your dad's life as well. I mean, did you, do you, have you yeah, ever sat down yeah. and talked post, you know, in the last couple of years or in the last 10 years about how everyone emotionally felt about the roles that they played nah, post accident? I mean, come on, guys, guys don't talk, mate. <laughs> 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 nah, we have a beer every day. Yeah. Nah, uh, nah, not really, man. I mean, uh, you know, I think you can see in the doco the emotion sort of come out where it's like, 
it takes you back to that place where we all were. But it wasn't all like down times by mm. any means. You know what I mean? Like we, I had a, I'm very lucky just to, I feel like some people have a chemical imbalance in their brain where they see the negative in life. And I don't, I see the positive. So I'd look at other people in the hospital that had broken their neck higher than me and they could, they had to ventilate it and breathe mm. for them, you know, whereas I can uh, breathe independently uh, and I can do some things for myself. I can now type and, and work, you know, so I just tried to focus on the good rather than the bad. Off, straight off the bat. I'd say a month into my stint there. And I mean, I had bad days, but I'd always be jovial. The worst time was maybe, I guess I thought I, you know, when you're like able-bodied, if you got in a wheelchair now, uh, you can just push it so easily. You know what I mean? And I, that's what I thought I'd be like, Oh, I'll just get in the wheelchair and I'll just cruise around this mm. hospital. No worries. The first time they sat me up, I nearly fainted because I'd been laying down for so long, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, then when I eventually, like, because I could, couldn't, I had swelling on my spinal cord, so I couldn't move my arms very much. So trying to, like, push a chair, I couldn't even push it like a meter. And all of a sudden, I'm, like, disheartened, you know, because I didn't want to be in an electric wheelchair only because from, like, a selfish point of view, I guess, you kind of feel like, I don't know, like, and I, I'm certainly not need to hurt anyone's feelings out there when I say this, but um, you don't want to be in one of those because I feel like people might think there's more wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so you might be. Yeah, less opportunity. They place like, expectations on you and stuff, yeah, which is hard yeah, for people yeah. in that community that use them because yeah. they're like, no. And I'm certainly not. Yeah, not exactly. Gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I borrowed one the other day and I was like, hooked in it. Eh? Like, I no, you would have loved it. You fly around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to want to give this thing back. But, <laughs> nah. um, but so now I use a power assisted wheelchair and i mean you know that saying like time heals all wounds eventually you get you know you just move forward and i had good physios and we'd have a lot of fun in hospital and uh i mean i've been in a wheelchair nearly 13 years i was walking around 17 years you know dylan like once you you kind of once you've done it longer or as long as you were normal then you kind of feel like it is your life. I don't, you know, I've forgotten about the old one now. Uh, the reason that we are speaking to you is obviously your disability story is it, but this um, documentary that you have released called From Sky to Sea, um, obviously talking about your work as uh, becoming someone who is uh, famous for drone shots to now wanting to be in amongst the action. From watching the documentary, I, I did see your family around the table having those discussions about how, how it's going to be done. I didn't actually recognize that they owned the dive business straight off the bat and that you had such a connection to the ocean already. Um, yeah. So what was the, there was always a want to get back underneath the water. If the time was right and uh, there was like a reason, you know, when Leighton and Jody contacted me from Sea Dog TV about making this documentary, cause they, they thought people would resonate with my life story, I guess. I uh, um, was like thinking, how could we like, finish it off and make it great, you know? And uh, I was like, getting back in the ocean for the first time would be really cool. But I didn't want it to just be like, oh, take me to the beach and I'll float around. I was like, let's do something cool and we'll go to like, throw me off a boat in 40 metres of water with, you know, five kilometres out to sea and we'll try and film humpback whales which seems crazy but Stuff it's like that, uh, that it's, sound, uh, does sound crazy, bro, without being out of swim. You know, i had a lot of <laughs> good people with me you know um so uh and i guess if i hadn't had the experiences with the ocean prior it would be more scary but i know that it's not like a sinister place and as long as you do the right things in the lead up to it then it will be all good let's talk about the physical limitations or problems that present themselves when diving as a quadriplegic. Yeah, we saw, because we saw uh, even the project as well, and they're like, try and, uh, I guess, 
even I kind of thought some of the things that I could do, you might be able to do. But even I was surprised about from even different disability to different disability about limitations that were placed. Yeah, I, I really can't do a lot, to be honest with you. I'm pretty, uh, um, like, I'm pretty close to being um, not useless, but I'm not, like, independent is not the, how you would describe me, you know what I mean? Like, I have to get hoisted out of bed in the morning to have a shower and I have carers come and do all that for me. So once I'm in my wheelchair, you know, I can wheel around, I can, uh, you know, go empty my urine bag on my own drink eat that sort of stuff um but uh trying to get into the ocean or i can't drive a normal car you know what i mean i can't get into a normal car so um if you picture that i guess that's what it's mm -hmm. like trying to get someone like me in the ocean mm -hmm. and a lot of heavy lifting people getting me on i wore a dry suit so that's like a, a suit that literally has seals on the wrist and the neck and the feet are enclosed and you pull it up over your regular clothing uh, and that provided a huge amount of buoyancy because oh, it's just cool. like, uh, which was awesome. So that took that out of the equation when we're in the water. Um, and also it then, because I can't regulate my, regulate my body temperature. Are you the same as that? Yeah, parts or, of it. Yeah. So can yeah. sweat luckily, but not like probably much as Angus can, for example. Um, but that's a big thing because I was going to ask, the sea's cold. Like how do you, what do you do down there? Yeah, look, uh, luckily it was X-Mouth, I guess, so it's a bit warmer yeah. up that way. But uh, um, it was still by the end of the day because it would leak in through my neck, um, I would still get a bit fresh, yeah, because I can't shiver below my level of injury, which is, you know, about an inch above my nipples, so yeah. there's not a lot of body to shiver. You know? Just for people who are listening, uh, you shiver with your body, it's your muscles contracting, therefore trying to warm up. Um, but I had no idea that you had problems with or people who were – Paraplegic, quadriplegic had troubles um, with regulating their body temperature. Sweat what happens? It's one of the main things, yeah. But, what, but why? why? Why doesn't your – I thought your body still continued with blood flow and et cetera. It was just you couldn't use, no? You want to take this one? No, you go, Jamie. Yeah. Okay, no worries. So basically the way it works is I guess your brain would feel that your feet are cold and then it would uh, intend to send a signal down to your oh. muscles to start shivering, whereas what happens with me is my brain <laughs> – probably doesn't know that my feet are cold because yeah. they can't receive a signal from down below because it gets blocked at my level of injury, really. So, sense. yeah, yeah. It's funny, though. Like, you don't know, do you? No, no I wouldn't I would know never have thought that. it was me. And it's yeah. interesting. One of the things that I tell people in that way, I never thought of that. I'll cut my foot, not know, and then I'll go, I feel a bit nauseous. And I'll be like, got a bit of a weird headache. What's going on here? And it's because I've got a cut foot, but my body can't tell me that my foot's cut as well. Mm. So the same way that you might – Jamin might get like a real, you might get hot in the head. You're thinking, God, I'm hot. But as you said, the rest of your body doesn't know that. So that's why you store it all where above your injury. That's all you've got to, as a reciprocator. And then as a result, your body doesn't know to sweat everywhere. So it can't regulate that temperature. Interesting. It's interesting, isn't yeah. it? I mean, the human body's crazy, isn't it? It's so crazy. Yeah, how, so many things the human body is an amazing piece of machinery. Absolutely. Was there something about salt water as well? Something about the salt? Uh, so it was in regards to... Um, the water getting into my lungs because I don't have any diaphragm around my, uh, you know, I guess lungs or any stomach muscles anymore. I literally am useless when it comes to coughing. Mm -hmm. Like even if I get a little bit of phlegm, I need to get an assisted cough. So someone has to like push hard on my stomach to try yeah. and act as a diaphragm, I guess. Um, so the thought of being out in the middle of the ocean, getting a lot of salt water in there, you know, into the lungs and then, uh, not being able to cough it up was the, was the main concern. Wow. Did, did you have a bit of extra fear around COVID because of that? Or were you just living that? Your oh, 
Yeah, yeah, I thought I was going. You know when they were like talking about one in four people getting it or whatever. I was like, I was locked myself in my house and I was like definitely worried. But then as time goes on, I don't you know watch a huge amount of the news um, just because it's so like it's a bit negative at times. But um, uh, they sort of paint the worst picture, don't they? So I wouldn't watch it for a while. And then all of a sudden, when I'd turn it back on again, the fear would set back in. But Esperance is so remote, it mm. was good in that yeah. sense. I didn't have too many people well, coming down here. For us on the East Coast, WA is like its own house anyway. Yeah, your we're Premier lo- wasn't letting anyone We're locked in anyway. out, brother. We can't even come if we try. Mark McGowan Mark was like, shoot yeah. off. <laughs> I'll give him a call for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, Everyone has their own controversial opinions on the uh, opening the borders, but Jane was like, Keep them closed. Yeah, he's like, close yeah. all those freaks. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny too because, like, people from Victoria will come in the shop and I'll just be chatting to them, just trying to make conversation. Like, oh, where about you from? And they'll be like, Victoria. And then they'll be like, but I'm like, I've been over here for ages. <laughs> <laughs> As you I'm slowly, like, turn around, pretend to do something yeah, behind you then come back with a mask on. Reverse back into the never-never. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you just roll. Like, you have brakes on, bro? You're like, yeah, my brakes on. <laughs> <laughs> you just roll out. See ya. Oh, so oh, good. Man, good. This penultimate end to this uh, documentary is obviously you getting into the water with the subjects that you've been photographing for so long from a, from the sky. Yeah. What were your emotions like going into there? Is there fear or is it all just balls to the wall, let's go, I'm so excited to get in the water? So I knew like I wanted to do it for sure, but to be like when we were out there, I mean I, I touched on it earlier, but you know we are 5Ks out in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like lagoon or anything like that and then there's the seas are choppy and you're trying to dive with like or snorkel with, you know, a 30-tonne wildlife animal that has no idea who I yeah, am. Yeah, that you're disabled, exactly. I want to put in my little face near him. But honestly, I remember sitting on the back of the boat and then I'm like, go, 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 once they toot the horn when you're in position. And they kind of threw me off. And of course, I'm thinking, like, what am I doing? But then once I hit the water uh, and the salt water hit my lips, I, it, it, not trying to be cliche by any means, but it was this like soothing moment where I felt at ease again because I'd been there so many times before. Oh, I love hearing that. I was over the moon excited. Like not too many people in my situation get these opportunities. So really just trying to relish in it and hoping that it didn't go by too quickly. You know, you don't want these things to, you know, when something comes to an end, you kind of feel a bit down that it's all wrapped up. When you were going in the water, had your child been born yet? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he was about a year old. Are you thinking about that, man, in case something happens? Of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Particularly with the wildlife, going in the water is one thing, but – I felt confident in the crew that we had okay. with us there and yeah. Yeah. Cause it's Southern right whale, wasn't it? Just from looking at humpbacks. Humpbacks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're the ones that jump out of the water. That's what yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. A few times we'd be there and then there's this bloody humpback, like 30 tons, like jumping out of the water. And then we're like, all right, we're going to get you in. And I'm mm. like, how do I know it's not going to jump? Yeah. That's the thing. Like usually when you go on a whale diving trip, you're like, please breach, please breach, please breach. And yeah. then this time you're like, please stay in the water. Please stay in the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just come Just up, be soft. Go hurt my back. Go away. Relax, relax, yeah. relax. Talking about your son, you're talking to a guy, Dylan, who is in a wheelchair, wants to one day have kids. Uh, what was your jo- journey like to fatherhood? Yeah, it was really cool, man. Like, uh, I, I don't know what you were like, Dylan. At first, I was like, oh, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to, uh, you know, I can't kick the football to them. Mm-hmm. Like, these are my young thoughts, you know, but these are the true ones that I did have. And I wouldn't be able to help my wife or whoever it was enough with uh, the baby in the middle of the night and everything. Uh, but then eventually after I met Jess, like, I could just tell, you know, these things didn't bother her. And then, like, who am I to 
not give her the opportunity. That would almost make me being in a wheelchair worse. You know what I mean? Because I'd be depriving her of being a mother. So uh, we went down the IVF thing mm-hmm. and uh, that we were super lucky. It just worked on the first round. Wow. Uh, and then we didn't know what we were having and along came a little boy. So it was incredible. Do you still feel an ele- element of guilt about the fact that you maybe aren't as helpful around the home and things like that? No, not really, to be honest with you. I, I try, I, you know, I, tr- I work and I try and provide, um, you know, and not that that's everything, mm-hmm. but financially. And I try and also uh, uh, offer, like, I'll just be there when she's changing a nappy. I can't do anything, but I'll just talk to her, hey. and, you know. Like, oh, I wish I could just be uh, there to support. I mean, don't even try to. It's the worst part is a poo explosion. And I don't worry about that. I mean, it's very nice that you wish that you could change that nappy. Be glad. <laughs> Be glad, brother. No, I just try and offer as much support as possible. And she never makes me feel yeah, guilty. And as he gets older now, like obviously when he was a baby, wakes in the middle of the night, you want to be able to go and help. Yeah. But uh, now he's older and like he, you know, loves me. Like you can tell. So, and I think, and he'll, like daddy or it's just he he doesn't care that i'm yeah. in a wheelchair yeah. you know what i mean so it's nice it is actually can i just chuck a little dad yeah. thing is i i haven't i've never thought about how difficult the first year would be oh, as have. a new father we both me and jamin have yeah because you can't you really i mean they are so reliant on us to do everything for them and if you can't yeah. do those things for them in that first year second year i mean educating your kids um trying to teach them good morals good ethics all of that stuff language, spelling, reading books, all of that can come. But in that first year, it's a, it's a ma- mostly physical role. Yeah. yeah. I never, well, thought, I never thought about it. They come out of the womb like too early, really, don't they? Yeah. yeah you look at a giraffe, it hits the ground and it's off walking. It's somewhere. gone. They come out like yeah, disabled yeah. almost. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they have the movement. They need carers. They need carers. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. No, they do, man. And uh, that is a lot of pressure on obviously your yeah. partner when you, you can't even pick them up if they cry. But, like, we got a little bouncer. It's just little things. So we had a little bouncer, so at least I could just bounce him when he started crying and uh, I just try and sing to him like that, you know, the ABC song, if he's crying, that helps out. So there's definitely things you can do to contribute. And, uh, you know, that year goes by and and now when he hurts himself, he'll, like, run and try and crawl up on my lap. And the best thing about kids is they become a second pair of hands to help you when they get a bit older. Dude, I drop my phone now, and I'll be like, "Ben, can you pick my phone?" I'm telling you, bro. I yeah. oh, can't wait for that. I'll be like, "Hey, can you give me a drink of water?" I'm on the couch. Hey, can you? It's like it's a bit hard yeah. for oh, I love that yeah. so much. We have a ball of uncomfortable. A ball of uncomfortable is a question that we ask. Uh, well, someone else asks, and we have to be sort of the mouthpiece for the question. Um, <laughs> so this is usually a, a lot of the time able-bodied people or people who don't have experience with your disability. Uh, and they don't feel comfortable to maybe ask you in person, hence we'll get us to ask the question because we're all about inclusion, nothing's off limits, and trying to educate yeah, people. Yeah, man. You're um, sweet. You're far away. Two bowl of uncomfortables, two different people. Uh, why is it that people with disability try and accomplish huge physical feats? Would they have wanted to do them had it not been for their accident or diagnosis? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I'd still be out doing uh, uh, great things with my everyday life, but I mean – you know, a lot of people go and swim with whale sharks every year. So yeah. it's probably not a huge physical feat for an able-bodied person. It's just a big physical feat because I'm paralyzed from the armpits down, really. Yeah. And I'm just trying to make the most of what left I have of my life. I, I think it's probably not until you come close to the end of your life. If I had a broken my neck 
much higher or, you know, a lot higher than I would have uh, not been able to breathe independently. Uh, and two hours on the sand dunes means I'm no longer here, you know. So uh, every day I, I wake up and I realise that. I, I look at my son and I feel grateful for him and I just try and get out there and make the most of it. And if if I get the opportunity to do some cool stuff like a, a physical feat, then I get out there and do it. Second question. How do you feel when a paraplegic likens their story to yours and the challenges? Uh, that's a good point, man. Yeah, yeah. At, uh, in hospital, it kind of... Uh, uh, I would think how lucky they were, and I'm sorry, Dylan, if I sound rude, agree more, but I say bro. that too. No. Uh, but I would think, like, man, like, uh, uh, you know, if only I was a paraplegic yep. and I could uh, shower yourself, or, or, exactly right. yeah, yep. shower myself, drive a normal car. Um, but I, over time, I mean, they have lost a lot as well. You know what I mean? Like there's no denying that. So we're all in a similar situation. It's just different, and uh, that would be like I'm sure someone that's on a ventilator. Um, says they wish they were like me. You know what I mean? So it's a uh, it's a cruel world sometimes, but there's no point really focusing on any of that. It's just, I mean, I think just sometimes it's good to compare yourself to other people. Like if you see someone driving a wheelchair with your chin, I think, man, I'm so lucky I can push this power-assisted wheelchair around. Um, and I certainly don't look at Dylan and go like, I mean, don't worry. I wish I could play tennis as good as she Mate, could do, we'll play some doubles together. We'll kick some ass, baby. <laughs> Sounds good. But <laughs> I'm not, like, you know, envious. I'm happy for you. Yeah, you know I love hearing it's that. It's good to see you doing so well. And vice versa, man. It's like, you know, I want to do some stuff in film and acting and stuff, and I'm not looking – like, that's what I want to do after tennis, and I'm not looking at you going, you bastard. I'm going, how good? Last question. Do you regret going over that jump? Oh, that is a good question, mate. Yeah, I mean, obviously – uh, I don't want to be, uh, you know, unable to pick my son up when he cries or anything like that. But at the same time, I've just had so many amazing experiences since then. If one, if I had a wish, what I would wish is that I could now all of a sudden be cured. And, uh, and then I would, cause I'd just be, I'd probably, I was like a pretty like cocky little 17 year old kid. I guess a lot of us were, but yeah. I was pretty full of myself. And, uh, all of a sudden, like I'm reliant on other people for everyday tasks and, uh, I know I'm so much more level-headed now and I see life so much more beautifully, I feel. Um, so if I could have had all these experiences and then uh, come good, that would be really cool. So to have the perspective of that lifestyle and maybe would it make you humble, humbled to have both sides yeah, of the experience. Much, yeah. Yeah. Interesting answer. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that many people say that. I'd rather, So if you could have stem cell research right now and get cured, you would do it? Oh, definitely, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I but mean, you, it's, you know, every morning I have a carer's hoist yeah. out of bed. It takes yeah. an hour and a half. No. And I'm really, really appreciative of those people. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful. I just went to Perth and these like 22-year-old girls will show up at the house that I've never met before. And they're there just purely to, to help me get ready for the day so I can go and do all this stuff that I need to do. And I just think like, how cool is that, that there's people out there willing to yeah. do that? So I'm very grateful for that. But just to be, I love sunrises. To be able to get up and, and wake up when you want to and stuff like that to fix that problem would be great. I know you guys are probably on a limit, sorry. No, but, no. Uh, do you think? Uh, okay, sweet. Okay, because hey, uh, I literally just yesterday for the first time drove. I've got a van now. Um, so this might be exciting for other people out there that have a similar injury to me. Uh, and the little hoist comes out of the van. I wheel onto it. It's all controlled by remote control. And I wheel straight up to the driver's seat. And then I have little electronic steering either side. So a tiny little spinner knob that turns the steering wheel 
and then like the left one I push forward to brake and pull back to accelerate while still sitting okay. in my wheelchair. Right. Oh, uh, cool. I, I could, yeah, man. So I don't have to because I can't transfer independently. Yeah. And I just – and I was like – I didn't know how good I was going to do at it, but I was in Perth and I drove like along the freeway and wow. to like through traffic lights and everything. And I never thought I'd be able to drive again after my accident. So if anyone out there is listening, you know, like just, you know, don't give up or anything, just hang in there. And uh, even though it might not be as easy as, you know, just jumping in a car anymore, then there's so many different modifications out there and everything. One thing I love about you, brother, is of course you are disabled, but apart from that, you are extremely talented, man. And I love meeting people with disability with an actual incredible skill set they work their ass off for and they put out to the world and the world accepts it. You know what I mean? And the best thing about your shots is everyone that sees them probably has got no idea you got a disability, bro. No one's got no idea. And it just shows that people with disability can be contributing, if not successful people in our in our own right. Do you feel that do you like that about the work that you do that they Of course, man. Yeah. I mean, like you know, I was lucky enough to get like a uh, West Australian Young Achiever Award and a couple of them and then uh and I'm not meaning to brag by any means, you know what I mean? But then also uh I was a finalist in Young Australian of the Year. Uh, in Western Australia, and that's up against able-bodied people. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, that's just, like, it's not out of four wheelchair people kind of thing. So it's good to just, like, people not know that I'm the one behind the videos and stuff. But I I don't see my disability as my identity or anything like that. I'm just, uh, I'm Jamin Hudson. Jamin Hudson, thank you so much for coming on. From Sky to Sea is the documentary. Uh, If it does go onto a streaming service, of course, we'll have it promoted across. Let's win an Oscar, I reckon. (laughs) Let's. Best talent. Dylan just put himself in the Best director, best cinematography, whatever. Oh, mate, you're the one with all the hookups. That's what I mean. I'm putting it out to the world. Every time I turn on the TV, dog, you're on. I know, you can't get away from me. Dylan likes to, he likes to attach himself to successful things and pretend that he helped them to be successful. (laughs) I like to say. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we're all brothers, man. Exactly. (laughs) Dylan's going to be like Russell Crowe for the Bra Boys documentary. All of a sudden, you guys potentially can get picked up and Dylan will go, I'll narrate it. If I will. (laughs) That'll be him. Jamin, thank you very much. We won't waste your time anymore with our little bands. We appreciate you so much. Nah, legends, man. Thank you very much. Hey, and uh, and all the best with the podcast and everything else you've got going on for sure. A big thank you to Jamin. Uh, and you, of course, go check out his work online. We're going to put all of the tags so you can check out some of his sea photography on our Instagram and Facebook search out Listenable Podcast. Make sure you go check it out because, like, you're like, you know, you listen. I know this is an audio medium. And you're like, oh, that sounds cool. But then you actually see it mm. and you're like, wow. He's a legend, but he's got a high level disability. You know what I mean? And for him to do the stuff that he's doing, super impressive. So big ups to him. World class photographer. On the next episode, Dylan, you are already, as we record this, in Japan, getting ready for the Paralympics. And so just before you left, w- fingers crossed, <laughs> hopefully this age as well. <laughs> imagine, we might, we might actually still be, come back and do this live because we got cancelled. <laughs> hey, you know what, imagine if the Paralympics gets canned, but the Olympics have gone ahead. Ooh. I didn't, I didn't want to think about it. Give us a good episode, Ooh. though. Uh, we will have another Paralympian joining us. In fact, another Nike-sponsored athlete, Dylan. World record holding runner Jared Clifford. He's got he's low vision and he is fast. I'm talking like seriously fast. Now, you know, I know you reckon you can beat me at tennis, mm. which is no chance. Mm. And you deep down reckon you can run faster than this guy, because you can see. True? Uh, look, you know, I used to be a Victorian state runner when I was 11 or 12. I knew it, see? Oh, <laughs> I cannot wait for you to see how fast Jared runs. Oh my god, we'll tell you about it on the next step, so make sure you join in. 
Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Produced by Beth Gibson. We also hire people with disability, including Stephen Tower, who does our captions for YouTube. And our awesome theme song is made by Eliza Hull. Listener.